tu tiens ça You shouldn't take it so personal I didn't mean To make you so sad You just happened to be there, that's all When I saw you say goodbye To your friend and smile Thought it was well understood that you'd be coming back in a little while. I didn't know that you were saying goodbye for good. Oh, and sooner or later, one of us must know that you just did what you were supposed. To do. Sooner or later, one of us must know that I really did try to get close to you. Hey, all right. And welcome to episode number 96 of the Betty Podcast. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better yet. It's a long-form interview podcast featuring musicians talking about influence, talking about writing, and talking about being around. All right, a little blonde on blonde. It was—it's funny. I put myself back into a into a Dylan hole after last week's episode of Other Replacements, where I kind of offhandedly uh, mentioned that I, I feel—it's my opinion—that "Let It Be" to Tim to "Please to Meet Me" is the best three album run that anybody's ever done and i follow that up with a kind of off-handed uh second place choice would be bob dylan in 65 and 66 so yesterday i was at work and i just went through the whole went through the whole thing bringing it all back home highway 61 blonde on bond unbelievable unbelievable i love that guy i can't believe i made it through an episode uh, about the replacements and mentioned Bob Dylan and didn't get into my theory that Blonde on Blonde is essentially Hootenanny or that Hootenanny is Blonde on Blonde. Just the idea that you have, you start your record off with two very off-putting, self-referential, uh, goofball tracks and then you follow it up with some of your best material to date, that being Visions of Johanna. And number three, just like Color Me Impressed, is at number three. It kind of falters around, I guess it would be, uh, you know, either Mr. Worley or Leopard Skin Pillbox Hat. Who's to say for sure? Would like to say thank you to those of you who reached out after last week's episode about the replacements in lieu of a guest. I just sat down and just charted my life uh, with my favorite band growing up in a musical household, growing up being named after a replacements record and the influence that it's had on me and just going through their catalog as well. It was a totally off-the-cuff recording. I had not planned on doing it beforehand. I decided to do it, and then I did it. And listening back and editing through, I was kind of second-guessing it just because, you know, I felt that it was 
organizationally lacking a little bit, having to come up with all of this stuff on the spot. Maybe my uh, my vocab bank wasn't as good as I would have liked it to be. But, you know, it was an emotional experience recording it and talking about it. And so that's what led me to keep it and to keep it intact and to not try and and do it all over again and better because a lot of those things that came out were, uh, you know, they were real. And I knew that they wouldn't come out nearly as real if I'd ever tried to re-record it. So thank you uh, to all of you who reached out. Uh, it was nice to get a little bit of validation from a pretty emotional, a pretty, uh, pretty revealing episode of this podcast. Very meaningful to hear. They all enjoyed it. And we're back to interviews today. We got Dan Butler from Loom on the show this week. This is the last intro that I'll be recording in this uh, studio where I've been for the last eight months. By studio, I mean bedroom. I'm moving out this weekend. Got a moving sale over at betteryetpod.com slash merch. T-shirts, buttons, $10 with shipping. We got all sizes except for medium left, which is great because I'm a medium and I didn't even save one for myself, but Chloe was in charge of inventory and, well, she failed me, but anyway, uh, there's something that's been happening within this larger community that I would like to talk about briefly. Uh, it's maybe, it's a, it's a heavy conversation, so, um, you know, if if you need to skip ahead a couple minutes, you can go ahead and do that now. But what I would like to talk about is the news that's surrounding some unethical actions from the organization Punk Talks regarding the outing of abuse that came for members of Pine Grove and Sorority Noise. If you'd like a thorough look at what happened publicly and what Punk Talks was doing privately, Anna Gasha wrote an excellent piece for Spin that I'd recommend, even if you're familiar with the situation. Uh, what it boils down to is Punk Talks and its founder, Sheridan Allen, in the case of Pine Grove, uh, taking the information given to her by the survivor in confidence and sharing it without consent, asking for consent when this person was in a vulnerable place, and in the case of Sorority Noise, commenting on the situation through the org's Twitter and privately talking about taking a huge ban down. There's a lot to unpack, and I'm not sure a full commentary from me is necessary, but there are a couple points that I feel are important for me to make here. Someone's trauma is their own, and no one else's. If it's shared in confidence, that's where it stays, and it is not information to be wielded in any form, and that goes for Punk Talks, for Sheridan, for Nicole Shenholz, who was a past guest on this show and shared someone else's story without their consent. These are instances of trauma where the survivors are now being forced to relive their experiences over again and are having to do it publicly. In a situation where someone did not have a choice, no one should be once again taking their right to choose how to handle the after effects. Assault and misogyny are a problem in this scene, just like they're a problem everywhere, and people are rightly fighting to dismantle it. But my thought with this instance 
is that people have neglected to consider the individuals who were harmed here and took matters into their own hands for their own purposes. Large-scale change happens on many levels, but one that I've been thinking about a lot that feels neglected within this is the small-scale change that we're all capable of making within our local scenes, within our friend groups, when communicating directly within a physical space. That's something we can all take part in to define how people are treated, how we talk about them, how we address oppressive behavior in our spaces. Big takedowns, hot takes on Twitter, these don't affect change the way you can within your immediate circles. Just something to consider. I agree, Chloe. We're all working. We're, we're all trying to do better, and hopefully we can all learn from the situation and move on. All right. Dan Butler, Vloom is on the show this week. Loom is a fantastic Chicago-based band of three Eastern Michigan transplants who play heavy, deliberate, hard rock, somewhere between grunge and stoner shoegaze. They're thick. They're a thick tonal band who released their second LP, Rung Out, this past Friday, April 20th. Get it? Unequal Vision, another solid effort from a band who continues to grow. Three old friends who experienced a very heavy period of loss together and were able to memorialize that time on this record that I've been waiting for, an excuse to have Dan over to talk about Michigan, his band, and the time that he and Dylan and Austin all went through making this record. This is a heavy interview in more ways than one, but we had a good time too. So let's get to it. We'll start with a song. This is Lost Leader, followed by my interview with Dan Butler. There's one in like Milwaukee, I think. They, they're like they're like the intelligentsia of Milwaukee. Yeah, I didn't realize that they were like branching out like that though. I didn't either. That was all that was all news to me. They, I didn't get the freaking memo from the coffee yeah. newsletter. I didn't even know it was there until I got off the train. I was like, what the fuck is yeah. this? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Well, so so how did how did you meet Colby originally? Then you play? Um, did you play with Mans? 
never played with Mans. I saw them. I think I saw them play with Native at one point, but oh, I didn't. Okay. I didn't know them personally yeah. at that time. That's but, a while um, ago then. Yeah, it was That's a long time ago. Yeah, I think it was like like right when Native was like thinking about Orthodox. I don't even think it was out yet, but uh-huh. they played at like Township. I yeah. think. It was like them. was it even Township yet, or was it was it Ponchos? At I that think point? it was Township already, yeah. and they played with. Uh, it was Man's Native and Sweet Cobra. Oh, okay. So it can't, it can't have been like too long ago, but long yeah. enough ago. Well, it's funny because like Man's broke up. I'm from well, I went to school in in Bloomington, and so when Man's started, I was seeing them like you know every weekend. Yeah. And they were just they were just incredible. And then like John Olds uh, started doing a house in Bloomington, which is where we're like. I saw Native for the first time. That was probably 2008, 2009. And then, okay. like, Oceans, which was, like, pre-Castavet was playing there and shit yeah. like that. And then my friend, my friend, my buddy, I love him to death, but he had a weirdness with, with John, so I stopped going to those shows. Oh, no. And then, like, like a few years later, I'm getting into all this, like, Tiny Engine <laughs> shit, and I'm like, oh, my God, these are all the bands that were playing the fucking house like two yeah, years ago yeah it's like ago. man i missed out on all that yeah stuff. that's the story of my life i yeah. feel like i missed out on <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like kobe now plays in a band called brother ghost yeah with john uh-huh and uh they're think, both austin people now right? yeah, yeah yeah austin and uh yeah i think it was like a few years ago kind of early on in loom we just kind of got tight with those guys we yeah. played with them and remember that band hairbrain yeah. Uh, we played like their final show uh-huh. at the downstairs sub T. Who was in Hairbrain? I knew Mark was in Hairbrain, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we played with them. We played like their farewell show and then just kind of like rekindled with Colby and John. Oh, and okay. And just like traded numbers and all that jazz. Yeah. And then we ended up playing with Brother Ghost in Austin once. And then I think we played some more shows with them in Austin and San Antonio and all uh-huh. this stuff. And we're planning on playing some more with them this summer because they kind of took a long hiatus. Their guitar player had like messed up his hand really bad. Oh, okay. And so they had like a whole album in the works and then they kind of had to shelve it for a oh, while. Oh, yeah, yeah. But now they're they're back at that's it. That's so, good. Yeah. That's a good band. Oh, yeah. They're great. Their, uh, their LP is just insane. It's, I believe that. Yeah. It's only like six or seven songs i think but they're just like so epic sounding right that's interesting that you're that you that you bring that up initially because like listening to to loom for the past few days i'm thinking like this is a band that probably fits on a lot of different types of bills Mm -hmm. but like my thought was like this is a band that like you know probably has friends that play a lot of like different types of like post-rock but you know, do you find yourself uh, like kind of mixing with a lot of different types of bands in that way? Yeah, that's like that's kind of always been. It's like a strength and a weakness sometimes because right. we've never been able to just say like we're this kind of band. Yeah, and then just like play with those kind of bands. Uh-huh. Like you always see like these like emo bands like blowing up and right, shoegaze right, right. bands blowing up, and we've just never like had that. It's always been mixed bills mixed everything like a lot of the time if we roll through michigan which is originally where we're from uh-huh. uh michigan just has like a huge hardcore scene like yeah, straight yeah. up hardcore uh-huh. and we'll play those shows and like we like headlined a hardcore fest there one time right and we're by no means a hardcore band uh-huh. but we just have this thread like running through it where it's like oh yeah this is heavy like okay yeah. let's uh-huh. let's do this 
And then so a lot of times, go, did that go over? And that yeah, moment, it went it over good? great. Oh, we actually, good. it's funny because if you scour the internet, there's a, a meme. We became a meme that said like uh-huh. Michigan hardcore starter pack, but it was a picture of us playing. Oh no! <laughs> and like a picture like Dylan, our bass player, used to have like long hair, uh-huh. and they like photoshopped like a flat brim like Detroit Tigers hat like uh-huh. on his head, and like all this weird stuff, and it said <laughs> Michigan hardcore starter pack. Yeah. And I was like, they know that we're not a hardcore band. Right? Well, how can you be a hardcore band when you don't have, like, you're playing guitar while you're singing? That's got to be, like, yeah. hardcore 101. You at least have to have, like, a singer. <laughs> yeah, you got to have, like, the instrument. dude who's, yeah. like, gripping the uh-huh. mic and getting in people's faces. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. That was always really interesting. It's interesting how that works, though, right? Where it's, yeah. like, you're a band that's, you know, you're pretty, you're pretty adept, and, like, Kickstand knows that they can put you on a bill with. Yeah, that's you know, a fine. I think even of, even yeah. just with Kickstand, we've uh-huh. probably played shows with just like every genre band because right. I think that they just like Peggy and them just know that we can like play whatever. Because uh-huh. I think we played Sub T with like Serial Hawk, but then we've also played downstairs with like all these emo bands. Yeah, and, like yeah, I think in a few. Well, in June we're playing there with this band Life and Vacuum from uh-huh. Canada. Who they're good friends of ours, but they're kind of like a screamo band. Right. So it's just like. We kind of run the gamut. So do you have, like, is there, like, a an understanding between you, Dylan, and Austin when it's like, all right, we're, we clearly don't fit here. Like, we're, we'll play our best if, it, if they don't seem to enjoy it as much as we'd like them to. Can't really change that because they're here for, like, you know, noodles or something that's more, like, direct slow dive. Yeah, that's... We for sure have to go into it with that. Uh-huh. We're just like, we're just going to do us. And if they like it, they like it. They probably won't like it, uh-huh. but <laughs> we'll roll with it. We actually played last year at South by Southwest. We did, um, there's this band in Austin called Hikes. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like a crazy, like noodly band. They're all really good musicians. And uh, they invited us to play this showcase that they were having at their house. And we got there and it was just like, all bands that sounded like that and it uh-huh. was like all either like really noodly kind of emo bands or like weird like psychedelic bands and we started feeling really weird we were like man we're about to come up here with like all these amps and uh-huh. we're just gonna like yeah and at the time we were playing a lot of our stuff that was kind of like really doomy sounding yeah, yeah, yeah. and so we were like well here goes and we just like got up on stage and played and afterwards it was probably the highest amount of people that have come up and wanted to talk to me about it afterwards and everybody loved it. And then we ended up finding out that like a lot of the people at the show were on acid. (laughs) And so like that, that might've helped or hurt. I don't know. But like all of these people were super into it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, sometimes it can go either way. I think, I think being on acid helps with any type of music. Yeah, I'm sure it helps. (laughs) But, um, so, so you and, and, uh, Dylan and Austin, you all, you all grow up in the same town in Michigan? Yeah, we all, I grew up in a town called Lexington Uh and it's about like an hour and a half north of Detroit. Okay. It's like right on the coast of Lake Huron. Yeah. Um, and they grew up like, we all went to the same high school, Uh um, and they're brothers. So we were all growing up within probably like 10 miles of each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was a town pretty close by called Port Huron Uh and that had like a pretty strong music scene when we were growing up. So we were all like, what was it about? uh, It was all about like hall shows, like VFW Uh hall. There was this place called the Nura Grotto Uh that had like all the shows, but like, 
like Bear vs. Shark used to play there. Oh, okay. Um, bands like that would yeah. come through. Even, that's pretty legit. You're seeing Bear versus Shark in a VFW hall? Yeah, I mean, that's... And even, like, the small town that I was from, like, our high school was in this town called Croswell, and uh-huh. it's, like, basically in the middle of a cornfield. Yeah. But, like, Bear vs. Shark would come through there, um, like, Glass Casket. I don't know if you remember that no, band, but it was, like, members of Between the Buried and Me, like, oh, before okay. Between the Buried and Me. Yeah. They came through there, and then, uh, like, Tosin Abasi, the crazy, like, guitar okay, jock sure. guy yeah, that's yeah, yeah. in uh, Animals as Leaders. Uh-huh. Uh, his old band would come through there. Like, there were all these crazy bands that would come through at the time. Yeah. Um, a lot of it, I was, like, too young to even get into. But uh-huh. later on, I started going to shows and, like, seeing a lot of those bands. Right, right. But, so you're you're in Lexington, right? Lexington. Yeah. Is it small? I'm yeah, guessing if you got if you got a different town that's feeding into the same high school, it's yeah, not too big. Yeah, it's super small. There were probably like three or four towns that all like shared a high school. Uh-huh. Um, and my graduating class was like 120 people. I think. Oh wow! So it was very small. And like my town is just kind of this summertime resort town where people yeah. just come to like go to the beach, basically. Oh yeah. So like in the winter, from like october to may it's basically like shut down well it's cold like, it's cold as fuck up yeah there too, super right? cold and like everything's just covered in snow and there's just like nothing going on it's not like is it are you too far away from detroit for it to be like suburban or is there just oh like yeah not yeah it's good? like it's basically there's basically nothing there it's like yeah. woods and lake and like fields <laughs> makes sense I yeah mean, i feel like the music that you make is like music for woods and lakes yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah like if you're coming north from detroit uh-huh. the suburbs basically go maybe about like on 45 minutes and okay. then you start to be in just kind of like fields and yeah, woods, yeah, yeah. and that's it what? and then you hit port huron and port huron's kind of like probably a town of like 30 or forty thousand people so it's like a decent size uh-huh um, and it's kind of where like I-94 and I-69 meet. Okay. And then there's also like the border to go into Canada is there. It's like uh-huh. the Blue Water Bridge. So like... You got people that, coming in yeah, from all directions. It's definitely so like a crossroads, uh-huh. yet like nothing really happens there. Right. Yeah, it, like yeah, yeah. it's a place that you pass through. Uh-huh. Like I've seen, I've even seen huge bands like posting about just being stuck at the border and they're tagging themselves in Port Huron. Oh, for real? Like the other day, my girlfriend showed me that Grizzly Bear was just like stuck uh-huh. at the Blue Water Bridge. Oh, <laughs> I was like, man. oh, man. Poor Grizzly Bear. Yeah. Everyone, everyone's everyone's <laughs> forgetting about you now and everybody's... you're getting stuck at the border. Yeah, it's too bad. They're <laughs> over the hill. Yeah. Um, so uh, what'd your folks do? Uh, my mom, she was a, a rural mail carrier. Uh-huh. So basically what that means is that she just drove on dirt roads like all day long delivering mail like not even in an actual like mail vehicle like they Uh have to use their own car (laughs) and she Uh had to drive her car from the passenger seat because you have to be able to like put mail in the mailboxes (laughs) yo i have a dream about having to drive my car from the passenger seat all the time like a recurring dream i mean uh, yeah no yeah it's a recurring dream yeah (laughs) it's tough it's like you know i I feel like the the freudian implication is like oh you're not in control of something at the moment but so she's what's she doing she's in a stick on the accelerator so basically like growing up we always had to buy cars that didn't have like a center console Uh they would have the shifter like up on the what do you call it like the steering column yeah yeah yeah. because that was the only way that she could drive them Uh because she couldn't reach her left leg over because she'd have to run the gas and the brake with her left foot Uh and sit in the passenger seat so she's just she's just driving 
driving Buicks around, basically. Yeah, ba- like, like, yeah, like, growing up, she uh, would drive, like, Buick K cars and stuff. Oh and then she would get stuck because uh-huh. she's in the back roads in Michigan where right, the snow is, like, Buick. drifting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so then finally, um, my dad got her... He got her like a Chevy S10 pickup uh-huh. and just ripped the center console out because oh, yeah. it had like the shifter on yeah, the driving yeah. uh, column. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, so then she just rocked that for like a long time and Dude, basically tight. until she, well, then she switched to uh, to Toyota Priuses when uh-huh. those came out because yeah, she yeah, just yeah. got insane gas mileage. Right. And so she drove, she had two of those. She like ran the one into the ground it had like two hundred and fifty thousand miles on it uh-huh. and then she got a new one yeah but she filled the tank twice yeah because yeah, uh-huh. she's really just driving like on the shoulder so she's driving for like eight hours a day yeah but on dirt roads like on the shoulder man that sounds like mind-numbing uh and also just really frustrating to you know have to deal with any sort of inconvenience would just mm-hmm. make existence (laughs) really really frivolous yeah i think it's insane because she she started doing it when she was pregnant with me Uh and then and i'm almost 29 right and she just stopped doing it like a year ago yeah so she did it for a really long time (laughs) but she just like listened to a lot of books on tape and npr and Uh all that jazz and just kind (laughs) of Made That's it happen. Great. What about your dad? Was uh, my was dad ripping, uh, ripping seats out of cars? So yeah, he, man, my dad was like a jack of all trades. Kind of, uh-huh. he was like never really had like what you could call like a real job. He was just always like doing different things. So like right, like the first job I can remember him having, he was a professional photographer uh-huh. and like like portrait photography. Oh, yeah? (laughs) But uh, he worked for a photography studio, so he worked for someone else, and he would, you know, people would come in to get, like, their senior pictures taken and stuff, and he would take their pictures. Uh And then uh, that, I think that place either went out of business or he quit, and he left there and started his own photography business, like, out of our house, basically, and set up, like, a camera room and, like, a studio and all this stuff. And he did that for a really long time in like various capacities uh-huh. and he would go out and shoot like weddings and stuff like that yeah, and, yeah. you know events and uh-huh. whatnot but that like never seemed like it was enough to pay the bills so i think he was always doing like side jobs like for a long time he was a school bus driver uh-huh. so he would do that like in the morning and the afternoon and then in between he would do photography stuff yeah so he was wild. just like always going around just uh-huh. like making it happen like we always like were provided for but he uh-huh. was just like always doing random stuff and then like kind of with the advent of like the iPhone and things like that like people just don't really hire right. professional photographers all it's that much only, anymore only only events yeah and so like maybe i'd say probably like 5 or 6 years ago he just kind of altogether stopped doing that yeah but um my parents have this really old like victorian house in lexington oh, and wow. so they turned it into a bed and breakfast and so he does that like him uh-huh. and my mom do that now and then he also like back in the seventies, he was like an over the road truck driver. Uh-huh. So he just like got back into that recently. Oh, yeah? And so he's been doing that for probably the last 10 years for this company. That's like based in Lexington. Uh-huh. They're like a pickle company Whoa. and he does over the road truck driving. And he's just driving pickles around. Yeah. Just driving pickles uh-huh. around. He drives them up to like Montreal and back. Yeah. Oh, like, Montreal. They, they, yeah, love, they the love their pickles. You know what they say. But, uh, and then he drives like down to Florida and back. So uh-huh. he's like doing crazy stuff all the time. He's yeah. technically retired, but every time I check in with him he's like doing something just doing something was there music in the house when you were growing up 
there definitely was music like neither of them really played music at all uh-huh. like my dad always had a guitar around but he yeah. only knew how to play like one song right. but like and we always had like an organ and a piano and like all these instruments were around but yeah. nobody like knew how to play them uh-huh. so i think like at some point i was just like well i'm gonna learn how to play all these things yeah, <laughs> and yeah, then just like sure. started doing it and also like my parents had this really kind of tight-knit like friend group when we were growing up um and all of them were really musical so i was just kind of always around music yeah. and people that like knew how to play music uh-huh. so it just kind of like permeated you remember you remember when you were like getting into it for the first time like was it was it you know radio or was it just like you wanted to play shit that was i think like i mean the earliest memory that i really have of like feeling like i wanted to figure out what music was all about was Uh uh i used to get like babysat by my cousin who was quite a bit older than me but we would just like play with legos and he would put on cassettes yeah i think he put on like metallica's ride the ride the lightning oh, that's the best one <laughs> and, and i was like maybe six or seven uh-huh. years old and was just like what the fuck what? is this yeah and just like that kind of kick-started everything so then i started kind of like that's like when i remember actually tuning into what music was because before uh-huh. that was just kind of like oh this song's cool like yeah, on the radio because yeah. i also have two like sisters that are way older than me uh-huh. so it was just kind of like oh, wait, whatever how, how much older uh, my one sister, my closest sister is 12 years older than me. Oh, so you were a, you were yeah, a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> and then my other, my oldest sister is 17 years older than yeah. me. Yeah. So. so what's that like from your perspective? They, they got families and shit? Um, no, I mean, they're both married. They don't have uh-huh. any kids or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, it was kind of like growing up, I was basically like an only child because I think... They're gone by Yeah, the by the time... Yeah. I mean, when I was born my oldest sister was like graduating high school so uh-huh. she was like out at that point yeah and then my second oldest sister was out of the house by the time i was like five yeah so yeah from Barely like remember. yeah right. they're like i love both of them but they're both kind of more like parental figures yeah, almost, yeah. or not now like now i have more like sisterly relationships with them but uh-huh. like when i was growing up they were just so much older than me that it was like yeah yeah it was just kind of they were like taking care of me more so than they were like hanging out with me yeah yeah but i definitely got like a lot of music from the sister julie she's 12 years older than me Uh um because she was listening to like incubus and stuff like that and i remember like stealing like the incubus like make yourself (laughs) record like i never got into that they're legit like looking back looking i find them legit up until they have this record called a crow left of the murder and that was like their last like good record uh-huh. i feel like what year was that 2002 maybe? oh okay so yeah they carry they carry yeah on. i feel like that's after that i like of totally them. fell off the map with them i yeah. don't really know what you, what you probably now. graduated at that point you're moving on to other things yeah like point. by the time they were putting out those records that's like when i was getting in more so into the music that i'm like into now yeah like but what, they were what, like what? really like a gateway uh-huh. band for me for sure yeah. everybody's got them yeah um so when you started when you started playing i guess were you you know were you always interested in wanting to play like heavier music was that um when i well i first started playing like kind of like folk music when i first started Uh because like i mentioned my parents friend group they were they were in this really interesting like they were all catholic but it was like this uh super like progressive catholic Uh group where it was all like lgbt friendly and like all this stuff and they were like 
they were all like activists. Like they were really working to like change the uh-huh. Catholic church at the oh, time. Oh, wow. And so like I was around all these people that uh-huh. were just like really these older people, but they were like super forward thinking and like, yeah. but then, you know, like when my parents would be hanging out with them, we'd be like around a bonfire and acoustic guitar would come uh-huh. out and like my dad's buddy would start singing like oh, hippie songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> and so then I was like, Oh, like, this is cool. Like, yeah, yeah. I'd like to be able to just pick up a guitar and like play uh-huh. songs. So then I just started picking up my dad's guitar and like learning how to play songs. Yeah. And then they also like, my parents were part of this thing called the blue water folk society. Okay. <laughs> which was based in Lexington. Hey, are white. Yeah, yeah. Basically. I mean, they're both, I mean, my dad is like 68. Uh-huh. And my mom's like going on 69. Yeah. Are and they so, from like, that area though? Yeah. Originally? Yeah. They're from uh-huh. Lexington. Um, and yeah, I mean, they, they grew up like in that era, yeah. my, like my dad got drafted into the Vietnam war uh-huh. and like all this stuff and yeah, like yeah. kind of like narrowly escaped, like having to go there. Uh-huh. Cause, um, just like the cards he was dealt, like yeah, he, for sure. he got like a better gig. Like he ended up going to Panama and they lived in Panama for a long time. Oh wow! But like, they were just like, like you always hear people talk about those times and it's just like, they were like in it yeah. and all of their friends were in it too. And so I just kind of grew up around that and uh-huh. like what they were all doing like as a result of it basically. Yeah, 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 for sure. But yeah, just a bunch of hippies hanging out in rural Michigan. Yeah. So so like, you know, moving on from from Incubus, like when you start getting interested in, you know, the 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 next wave of like gateway bands that bring you into something more aligned with what you're playing now. Yeah. I would say it's probably like that kind of eighth grade like time frame. Yeah. That's like when everybody started really like I feel like coming into their own and that's when I started actually like playing music um, and kind of like knowing what it was all about, like playing with like a drummer and Uh stuff like that. And so by the time I was in like eighth, ninth, 10th grade, that's like when I was actually like starting to be like, Oh, I want to play in a band. Yeah. And uh, I remember my friend, I I mean, I was like really into like Coming from Incubus, I was like really into like new metal and stuff. Yeah, when I was in like sure. Dude, seventh such grade. Such for the time. Yeah. Like, don't, don't I was scoff. like all about that, but then that kind of turned into like Deftones. Ah. Uh-huh. Because I feel like Deftones is like a good gateway band out of new metal and yeah. like into everything else. And so I was really into them for a long time, and then I remember my friend gave me just like a mix CD, basically, um, and I would listen to it on the school bus, but it had like bear vs shark on it and it had uh at the time there was this band this day forward which uh like their their drummer is now the bass player of that band circus survive oh okay and their guitar player is the guitar player of circus survive so Uh it was like their like band before right and so it had that on it it had this band taken on it which uh that a member of that band went on to be in Circus Survive. Yeah. And uh, I actually just did a podcast with their singer, Ray Harkins, oh, for last week. Uh-huh. And so, like, but those were kind of the bands that started getting me more so, like, into that type of thing. And I think the CD also had, like, I was kind of into, like, Christian hardcore music at the time. Oh, okay. So oh, it had, yeah, like, that was that time, right? Yeah, with, that like, was, like, Under that Oath time that frame shit? where uh-huh. it was, like, Norma Jean and yeah. Under Oath uh-huh. and. Uh, this band Zayo and like all this stuff and because growing up in that like Catholic environment I was like oh like 
it's Christian music. And so uh-huh. I would show my mom like yeah. all of these heavy bands and the way to like not make her be like, what is this uh-huh. is to be like, oh, they're a Christian well, all band. All these songs are about yeah. God. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then she'd be like, oh, okay. Uh-huh. And yeah, she'd yeah. even so like. did you go to like Cornerstone and all that? Yeah. I went yeah. to Cornerstone oh, yeah. a couple times. I went uh-huh. to this festival called Ichthus a uh-huh. bunch. And that was like, that was my real introduction to like going to shows and being like, man, this is like yeah. what I want to do. I remember seeing, I saw Norma Jean just like in a tent in like uh-huh. a field in Kentucky, wow. like when, when Josh Scogan was like still in the band and they uh-huh. weren't really like anybody and just being like, man, this is it. Like, yeah, yeah, I want to yeah. do that. And uh-huh. like, I want to just be on stage, uh-huh. like freaking out. <laughs> so did you start, you start playing with Dylan and, and Austin when you were in high school then? Um, I was playing with like this whole other crew of people. We had this band that it went through like many different iterations, uh-huh. but it was kind of always the same guys. I remember I was probably like 17 maybe. And Dylan's like four years younger than me, three or four years younger than me. Uh-huh. So I think he was like 13 or 14. He was yeah. like a, I think he was a freshman in high school and I was a senior or maybe he was in eighth grade and I was okay. a senior in high school and the bass player of our band quit. And so I just like, I think I posted on like MySpace or something (laughs) that we, that we needed a new bass player. Uh And as the story goes, I don't quite remember exactly how it went, but he tells me that he lied to me and told me that he knew how to play bass Uh and came over with like a bass that he had just gotten to like our practice space. We used Uh to practice in the back of my buddy's dad's like mechanic shop Uh and he came over. This is so like rural. (laughs) Yeah. It's super like Uh super rural, but uh, he came over and basically just completely botched like all the songs and like Uh didn't know how to play anything. But he was like a cool kid, so yeah. we were just like, yeah, yeah, we were like, yeah, man, hang around. Yeah. But then, like, inevitably, a much better like bass player came along, uh-huh. and he just kind of was like, yeah, let that guy do it instead. Uh-huh. But that was like the first time I met him, so then he was kind of always on my radar. But then, um, like right after that, I ended up moving to Chicago to go to college. Yeah. And so then it was just kind of like we were on different paths, and then fast forward, probably like five years or so and that same band uh-huh. needed a bass player again but now he knew how to play bass right so then so he everyone's down in chicago at this yeah point. so basically i moved to chicago um with these two other guys in that uh-huh. band uh the band was called a living portrait okay. at the time and we were like jamming in chicago but it was like we always really wanted it to take off but there were always there was always something like holding it back from right. taking off like well you're in school too yeah like i was in school and then at the time like um our drummer wasn't just like fully on board with the chicago thing like uh-huh. he was still kind of like back and forth between chicago and michigan and that was always like a point of contention it, like we're all tight now but like at the time it was just like are you in are you out and it was just this thing where like none of us were really on the same page. Uh And so finally when that band was like ending and Dylan was kind of in the mix at that point, but he wasn't living in Chicago yet. um, I ended up calling him one night. I think I was at a show at, uh, do you remember ultra lounge? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, I was like right over there. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think I was at a show at ultra lounge. I don't even remember who I was watching, but I doubtful that they were good. Yeah. (laughs) I just remember being like, this like isn't working so i gotta like figure something out Uh and i just called him yeah and i was like yo if you want to move like to chicago and start like a new band Uh uh-huh 
I'm totally down for that. I was like, otherwise, like I got to figure something out. I was yeah. like, I can't, I can't do what I'm doing anymore. Like I got to just like either be all in on a band or uh-huh. like not be in at right. all. Like I was kind of at like a turning point yeah, yeah, where yeah. I was just kind of like fed up, like frustrated that this thing that I had been working on for so long just like wasn't happening. So then he was like, yeah, man, I'm in. And he like moved to like Chicago. Yeah, basically like uh-huh. he, he moved to Chicago and moved into like my spare bedroom in Pilsen. Oh, wow. And then, uh, uh this, is, this is the house yeah. where all the cars <laughs> yeah. are exploding. Yeah. Earlier we were talking about the yeah. shenanigans at that house, uh-huh. but, uh, yeah, he moved in there and then his brother, Austin, who's our drummer yeah. was actually still in high school at the time. Uh-huh. Um, cause he was doing this like accelerated program where you get like your associate's degree or oh, something. Sure, so sure. he was like in high school for an extra amount of time because uh-huh. he was doing that. But, uh, he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm also down. He's yeah, like, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll come to Chicago as once soon as I, I graduate. Yeah. Like once I'm out of high uh-huh. school. So that's kind of how that started. And we would go back and forth. We would go home to Michigan and like just write songs with him like at their dad's house or Uh at their grandparents house like wherever we could set up gear for the weekend so are you are you graduated at this point yeah i've been i've been out of college for a long time i graduated in like 2011 oh okay and loom loom started in like I think we technically started in like 2013. Okay. So I had been like out of school for a while and that's why I was like so antsy to like get something going. Right. It's the, the 23, 24. Yeah. I was like, I gotta like, I gotta like do a band thing or I gotta go like get a real job or something. Well, cause at the time I was also like, I was working at the place I'm still working there. Uh Zounds.com, like music website. And I was working there, but the job that I had there was just kind of like shitty. And so I was like trying to break into other, like other aspects of the music industry. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I interviewed at like Windish Booking, and I like so I was, you went to school for for yeah music? I went to school for music business, oh, okay. which like in hindsight was a terrible idea because it's just I mean, worked like, out for you. Now you're doing you're doing <laughs> yeah. something with your degree. Yeah, for a living. It's true. Nobody but, gets to do that. <laughs> yeah, but it's like sometimes in hindsight you look at it and you're like, well, I probably could have done all this like without that but then i mean yeah. yeah there's that aspect of it too where it's like you you could right drop yeah. out and like you know just spend time somewhere and yeah end up with it but austin like comes here you guys can kind of start in earnest right mm-hmm. so what, what i guess what are the common threads like is it was it kind of a continuation of the band that you were in with dylan previously or, or were you trying to do something different from that uh it's funny because stylistically we didn't really go into it with like an idea of what we wanted to sound like uh-huh. we more so went into it with the idea that we just wanted to be a touring band like yeah. we just wanted to hit it hard get on the like we didn't want to waste any time like getting on the road so i think we we only had played like one show before we went on our first tour oh wow. and so it was just like we just that was the focal point of everything. Uh So if you listen to like our earliest recordings and then compare them to the band that Dylan and I were in before that, it just kind of sounds like that band's next record. Uh (laughs) Cause that's just like the headspace that I was in at the time. So I guess, where does that come from? First of all, it's tough to find, you know, a group of people that agrees like immediately to get on the road right away. I think Mm -hmm. especially being in a position where you're like, all right, well now I'm out of college like it's hard to find people who aren't wanting to i guess dive into that extent. Yeah. I think that's really the unique thing about this band 
is that basically from day one, we all felt like it was really important for us to be on the same page. Uh So from day one, we were like, okay, we're going to basically center everything around doing this. So like when Dylan moved out, I got him a job at Zounds. Uh And so he was like a salesperson at the time. And then when Austin moved out, Dylan got him a job at Zounds. Uh So like, and all three of us still work there. Yeah. And, and it's all musicians who work there. So they're very open to us going on the road all the time. Right. Like when I go on the road, I bring a laptop with Uh me and I do my job. And so does Dylan. Um, Austin can't really, cause he's a, like a, one of the top salespeople there, but they just let him basically take off he's whatever so, time. He's so damn good at yeah, it. Yeah. He's just so good I mean, we that they just the let team. him go. Uh-huh. But so that was, you know, from day one, we were like, this is what we're doing. Um, so there was never really any like having to pull someone away from anything or right. like anybody not being on the same page. Cause that was kind of like a requirement uh-huh. from the beginning. And we also did stuff like. I think even before we played a show, we like set up a band bank account and we were like, we're going to put money. Like each of us is going to like essentially pay dues to the band. Like, you think this is a little bit of your, uh, your schooling, like getting into, yeah, I mean, it definitely like, I've always really thought about it from like a business, not, not that we're like in it to make money, but I always thought about it. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I always thought about it as a business though, Uh because just to run it successfully. So it's like, you know, we always, Basically, I saw all these roadblocks that other bands were experiencing, uh-huh. and I just didn't want to like get those same roadblocks where it's like, oh, it's time to record, but nobody's got any money. Right. And so we You're just pretty well organized. Yeah, like everything's we've got everything in like spreadsheets uh-huh. and all that jazz. Google Docs is my yeah. best friend. Uh-huh. But uh, from the beginning, it was all about that. Yeah. But they were both like very on board because that's what they wanted and uh-huh. weren't weren't getting out of bands that they were in previously. And I was kind of in the same boat. Like I was always kind of the organizing person in the band previous. Right. And it was just like nothing would ever fall into place. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I yeah, wanted you got it so to. so many moving parts. Yeah. It's just like. And so with this, it was like we were a three, like we're a three piece. It's very easy to get three people on uh-huh. the same page. Two of them are brothers. So yeah. they can get mad at each other all they want. Right. And they're still going to be brothers. Uh-huh. And then I'm kind of like <laughs> the friend that, you know, it's like it all, it all coalesces pretty well. Yeah, for sure. So it's interesting, like looking back at like the earliest, uh, you know, recordings and you pointing out the fact that it's kind of a continuation of the band, because I think that Loom does evolve. I think the songs initially are pretty kind of straightforward, like, grungy songs and Mm. you know over the course of the thing you get into like slower things and the tone becomes like the fourth member of of the band is that that's definitely like i don't know that it's something that we tried to do but it's definitely something that i've noticed too like we definitely found our sound basically right because yeah when we started we were just the band i was in before was just kind of like a not really a math rock band but just kind of like a like native uh-huh. kind of sounding yeah, yeah, yeah. and so like our first ep which i don't even think is on the internet anymore just like sounded basically like a continuation of that and then i think there was we have this song called now and then that's on the internet and yeah it's a good song yeah and it was like that song when we wrote that song we were kind of like oh this is what we actually right, like yeah. wanted to sound like uh-huh. 
that other stuff was just kind of like leftover stuff from the other like it literally all was like leftover Mm -hmm. songs from that old band that we never got to record and so then with now and then it was kind of like turning the page and being like okay this is like what we're gonna sound like right and then i feel like everything kind of moves on from that point there's like a real togetherness to all of it and i feel like that's something that you know i attribute to a lot of like uh metal or like the stoner side of metal at least where it's like instrumental passages that just kind of follow this progression Mm -hmm. that's you know is that is that mostly like something that y'all put together um just out of jams or are like the uh because i i like your instrumental passages a lot uh, particularly because i think that you carry really well as like the lone guitarist Mm -hmm. in a band like you're able to do things that are interesting but you never you know you don't fucking hit yeah. Uh, hit the 12 on the high e yeah, I'm and not, like, drop out like ripping that. a solo out right because but there's like a fullness but there's a lot of like activity to it and yeah. like you know the rhythm section is always following you really well yeah that the guitar thing actually was like a conscious decision on my part because uh-huh. when we decided to have this band just be a three-piece i knew that i was gonna have to change my playing style because the band i was in before had two guitar players yeah and we were just on this like mission to basically sound as crazy as possible right to where like Uh we were both basically playing like lead parts and like lead and yeah just kind of like (laughs) these two guitar parts on the left and right side are Uh just like doing their own thing yeah where like it, it sounded cool but um i wanted to basically become like a rhythm and lead at the same time yeah and so i just kind of like slowly figured out how to do that and Uh i think it if you listen to our first recording i hadn't figured it out yet but by now and then i think i had kind of discovered that oh i can do these huge kind of huge sounding like fuzzed out guitar parts and then throw on like an octave pedal and like kind of move into this lead thing that's not really a lead and Uh you know it just kind of exists like somewhere in between and then dylan's doing a lot of um just even in the way that he eqs his amp and he plays like a lot of chords on the bass too yeah so it's like we cover each other's ground in certain aspects but then we also like do our own thing there's a fullness to it it's so it's just it's it's always so locked in is what it what it feels like you know that that tone that kind of just persists mm-hmm. you're bouncing around on labels for a little while there but then uh mayflies where you end up for perennial phase which i i think is uh you know going back to the conversation that we had uh when we started the thing like that's a place where you guys fit really well yeah. like the bands that are on that are like definitely in yeah, your wheelhouse for sure um, you seem to like have things together though on that record. It's like that record seems like really, really put together and like the, the thought that goes into it, especially with the way, like, you know, both sides seem to flow together really well. Yeah. Very conscious. Yeah. Basically it's funny cause there's a story as to why like that's the case uh-huh. is basically we were, we were kind of figuring out what to do next at that time. Cause I think we had done we were on this label called known pleasure records, Uh which they put out like a cassette for us. And then there was this other label flesh and bone records that put out like a, Dylan's doing that for Dylan took it over actually for Uh a while. Like after it was at well after we ever did anything with them, but he took it over for a while 
and now his roommate Jake runs the label. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we had done like a cassette with them, and we were just kind of in this period where we we're like, well, like what what should we do now? And so our plan was we wanted to do a ten inch, and we wow. wanted to do you know like five or six songs on a ten inch. Yeah, and what we were going to do was just probably record it and then shop it around a little bit and see if like a label wanted to put it out. Right. But what we didn't really realize at the time was that a 10 inch is kind of a tough sell to a label because they're like, well, why don't you just do a 12 inch um, or a seven inch? And it's just kind of like a weird, Uh like in between where nobody was really going to want to pick it up. And so then out of the blue, uh, Bob Farley, the guy that runs Mayfly emailed us and that was one of the labels that we like really wanted to yeah, work with sure. at the time because like that some good yeah pianos and then Xerxes. Xerxes are good friends of ours and they were on there at the time well they had like just jumped over to no sleep I think and it just was like this really cool stepping stone kind of label that all these cool bands were on so he emailed us and immediately we just got like really excited and yeah. he asked us what our plans were uh-huh. and we we told him the whole 10 inch idea and then sure enough he was like well what if we did a 12 inch and he's like could you guys do a 12 inch and do it like in july and at the time i think it was like may Uh or maybe like the end of april Uh and so not wanting to like lose the opportunity right. we just emailed back and we were like yeah dude of course, yeah, yeah we'll definitely do well, that we've got yeah. songs <laughs> yeah we were oh, like tons. we've got uh-huh. we've got plenty of songs like yeah. yeah we'll do that and he was like okay cool like let's do it and uh-huh. it was like basically a handshake deal but then after that we were like well we we don't have that many songs right. <laughs> and so then essentially we we basically just locked ourselves in our practice space uh-huh. and wrote a whole record because yeah. I don't, I think at the time we didn't even have enough songs for a ten inch. We had like two songs, oh, and for we real? needed so like you didn't have like five, and he has right. We three. didn't have, we didn't even uh-huh. have as many as we like were planning so on. So how, how much panic goes into something like that, or is it just um, like you're all thriving off of it? You're just well, we were just cups yeah. of coffee. Like, what do you think? <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, we were just like really excited about it. like we were definitely stressed about it, and mm-hmm. there were a couple moments in that process where we actually like got at each other's throats a little bit which we don't usually do that yeah um but it was just like to us like that was it like we were like this is it Uh bands signed to mayfly they put out a record and then they're on to like yeah yeah, something huge they're on to death wish or whatever that's that's big that's big stakes though yeah and so at the time we're just like we got to make this like Uh as cool as possible so then basically we had the idea that we that we wanted it to all flow together like what you were saying Uh and so we would essentially the way that we were writing it was we would write a song and then we'd be like well what does this song sound like it could go into Uh and then we would start we would take the end of that song and basically start just jamming and Uh seeing what we could come up with and then we'd be like oh well this sounds like another song so then we would start like we basically wrote the record from beginning to end it wow. wasn't like we had multiple songs lying yeah. around. We just like straight up wrote it. And then we would be like, well, what? It wasn't just like, what does this song sound like it could go into? It'd be like, what's the record missing right now? Like, what kind of song is it yeah. missing? Like, okay, well, it's missing like a really heavy song. So yeah, we would yeah, yeah. be like, all right, well, this is going to be the really heavy song. Uh-huh. And we would write it, but we wrote all the music. And then I went back through and listened to it all and wrote all the vocals. So while it sounds really like put together musically uh-huh. in the back of my mind, it always sounds like the vocals are very like 
kind of like an afterthought to it. Yeah. Compared to the way that we write now where like it's very much written at the same time. Right. Back then it was like these two completely different like completely separate processes right right right. yeah well i feel like you you go through an experience like that though where you're like working you know so hard with a deadline and then you go in and you put it all together and then you get a little bit of hindsight from it it's like okay cool this is what works and then this is what should definitely receive more attention yeah when you're going in next time and and like you also get this like fucking i'm I'm reading up about this converse contest that that you (laughs) want you went to fucking you went to fucking Avast yeah. in Seattle? Yeah, so that happened, like, so we put out Perennial Phase 20, January 2016. 16. Yeah. So, yeah, so basically, yeah, actually, the whole thing, I've basically forgotten, like, a whole step in the process. We, uh-huh. we had this 7-inch already written and recorded that was supposed to come out before Perennial Phase, but, like, the label that we were working with, like, couldn't, couldn't, get things to happen fast enough and mayfly was just a a bigger animal at the time and they could make things happen way faster so it turned out that the full length came out before the seven inch Uh and so we ended up having to kind of refer to the seven inch as like perennial phase b-sides even though they weren't they were like written and recorded before Uh we even thought of perennial phase (laughs) but they kind of all sound similar so like that whole thing happened and i think just before we released perennial phases when that converse thing happened. So yeah. like, I think we went to Seattle in September of 2015. Uh-huh. So we already had perennial phase like in the bag and it was already like mastered. It was just getting pressed, I think at the time. And so then, yeah, converse just like Dylan had filled out this little like questionnaire thing on uh-huh. the converse website. And it was like, do you want to be like a Converse rubber tracks band? Like, yeah. do you have like what it takes or whatever? Uh-huh. And he he yes, filled I it did. out uh-huh. and he just put he put something like it doesn't matter if you choose us or not. Uh-huh. Like, we're still going to do what we're doing. And right. that was it. Like, yeah, 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 he yeah. sent that with like a link to like our band camp. Uh-huh. And then they hit us up. <laughs> and this wild. dude, Jeremy from uh-huh. Converse was like, hey, I really like what you're doing. Like, uh-huh. do you want to be part of this program? And then it kind of unfolded into this whole thing where they were like, we're going to fly you out to Seattle yeah. and you're going to record at a vast, which is like where like earth records Yo, and like, for real. and all this like death cab has recorded multiple records there. Yeah, like the band of horses. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. The first two band of horses records. Like, yeah. And Phil so Eck, like posted up in that place for years. He was there when we were there. Oh, like no, shit. I, uh-huh. I was freaking out a little bit Yo. because he was like, he wasn't working with us or anything, uh-huh. but he came in the one day to just like get free shoes because yeah. they had like a bunch of free, like uh-huh. Chuck Taylor. Oh, so and he came in, I was like, uh-huh. damn, that's Yo, Phil Eck. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah but uh yeah so we got to go out there um we worked with this guy brian Pugh, who um he wasn't really like in tune with our kind of music like he was a really cool guy uh-huh but um he he had worked with like i think he had worked with like lauren hill and right. like, all this other and he did like the uh remember that movie across the universe like the beatles movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah he like did the, the soundtrack like all the uh-huh. mixing and stuff right, for that right. so he was like definitely like knew what he was doing just yeah, like yeah, yeah. wasn't sure what we were trying to do uh-huh. and we went in there with just like a couple songs that we weren't even really sure about and uh-huh. the whole experience was awesome but to this day we haven't even like put out the music that we recorded Cause it's there because like, yeah, it's yeah. just kind of like uh-huh. iffy sounding but so Man, we had like a killer experience. Like it was yeah, so awesome. Yeah, yeah. I guess what does an experience like that do for you? Because you know, I think that 
I think that working, you know, recording in a studio, it's one of the things that people, you know, don't really talk about is just being one of the most difficult parts of being in a band and being able to do it right because it's like it's kind of hard to get to a spot where you're comfortable doing yeah. it because it's not like you're playing in a studio every night yeah. for three weeks at a time. Yeah, I mean, that that experience was it was a little bit different than like other studio experiences that we've had a lot of that. We get really anxious in the studio because you know, you're spending money on it and you're looking at the clock and you're like making sure that everything's happening in a timely fashion. And like, we're pretty like, not to like toot our own horn, but we're pretty good at recording. Like we practice a lot. Like we practice like every day. So when we get into the studio, we're just like laying down tracks. We're like, not really like, learning how to play anything or like fucking around with how uh-huh. it sounds like yeah. we're just there to like put it down and a lot of the engineers and stuff that we've worked with in the past sometimes are just like taking their time and we're just like man come on we gotta get out of here yeah well the converse thing was cool because like we just won it so it was uh-huh. like and they were like paying for everything right so we were just like yeah let's try that let's uh-huh. try to bounce it to tape and bounce it back and yeah, like do yeah. all this weird stuff uh-huh. so we were just Beat having fun backwards. yeah right. and we were like playing with gear that like wasn't even ours because uh-huh. we had to fly there and yeah, all yeah. we really brought were like pedals so i was playing through like a marshall plexi and like a fender twin which is like uh-huh. not yeah. what i would normally play through <laughs> really and so i was just that. like <gasps> yeah so we were just like having fun basically uh, and trying yeah, to make yeah. it sound as close to like uh, our sound as possible right. and just like geeking out on where we were yeah totally. and they put us up in this like beautiful hotel with like a roof deck that like looked over like the puget sound uh, and like all this oh stuff God. so we were just yeah, like yeah. beautiful i remember the day that we got there we all just like stood on this roof deck like watching the seaplanes like come in and land yeah and we just none of us said a word for like uh-huh. 30 minutes and then we all just like started laughing basically because we were like we're here because we play music right. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. why are we even here right now <laughs> and like a guy picked us up from the airport in like a lincoln town car and so yeah, it yeah. was just like this it was really surreal is what uh-huh. it was because yeah, totally. seattle is like you know it was a place that all of us wanted to go that's kind of like where our type of music is like birthed from and we, yeah. you know it has a certain like mysticism about it and so we were just like really excited to be there but yeah it was cool experience um so what goes into this is sort of a a segue into like less fun times i guess but like you know i know a lot of a lot was going on for the three of you uh going into making wrong out like what what was up um yeah i mean we had started writing wrong out like in like mid 2016 sometime Uh uh-huh and we were like we had a few songs written like the song rung out which is the first song on the record we had already like been playing that song live and stuff yeah. and we had a couple other songs that were like already written that we were just like toying around with and trying to figure out what to do with them and i was just having like a hard time figuring out what i even like wanted to write about at uh-huh. the time and so we were just kind of like tossing around a bunch of ideas and whatnot and then it was like late september 2016 um this friend of ours who like ran a he ran the guitar shop in bridgeport like around the corner from our house and Uh we would like hang out with him a bunch at the shop and like talk shop basically and buy and sell gear with him and just like out of nowhere he 
passed away and like nobody like knew what was going on at first and it was like uh-huh. really weird and then we ended up finding out that he had committed suicide and it was just like this whole uh-huh. thing and we were all just like pretty fucked up about it like because yeah. it was just this guy that we'd hang out with like every day and so then that started to like permeate what yeah. we were doing because we were all just kind of like confused and weirded out and then are you all are you all still living together at that point yeah at that time yeah we were all still living in the same house in uh-huh. bridgeport yeah so it's kind of like close quarters and all of our yeah, feelings sure. basically are like rubbing up on each other and uh then i'd say it was like a month and a half later it was like the beginning of november um i was sitting at work and my phone rang and it was like my buddy from michigan and it's like the type of thing where like you know this person's not going to call you right, yeah, while yeah, you're yeah. at like he knows you're oh, at yeah. work he's not going to call you unless something's wrong uh-huh. so i answered the phone and he he told me that this other good friend of ours had committed suicide Jesus. like overnight uh-huh. and so i was just like what the fuck uh-huh. and like this guy owned uh his name's Corey. he had been a co-owner of a record store like in our hometown in yeah. port huron uh-huh. and we were actually scheduled to play a show at his record store like this was like a thursday i think when uh-huh. i got that phone call and we were supposed to play there on saturday with uh uh-huh. this band child bite from uh-huh. detroit and so it was like this weird thing because i was like well what the fuck like right. i mean first off i was devastated like i i ended up just like getting up from my desk at work and I like walked out without even like telling anyone where I was going. And I don't think I stopped walking like until I got home. Uh And so I was like torn up about it. And then I told Dylan because Dylan was also friends with him. And then he came home and we were just kind of like all like me, him and my girlfriend were all friends with this guy. And so was Austin. Like he, he didn't know him quite as closely as we did, but like we were all super, devastated and just like sitting in the living room of our house like what's going on and then we were at that point it was like are we should we still play this show like what what do we do with this so like then i called the other co-owner of that record store and kind of like cried on the phone basically with him for a while and like then we were like yeah we should still play the show and treat it as like a memorial basically because like i don't know we just kind of knew that he wasn't going to get like the proper memorial that he deserved basically right. and it was like he wouldn't have wanted anything more than like what we were supposed to People do like together yeah like, like he like that dude was basically if i had to say somebody was like the biggest fan of our band it was that guy yeah. and so like we we went on with the show and it was super heavy like emotionally but then so that like played hugely into the content of this record i'd say more than anything else right um but then the other kicker was that like maybe three weeks after that i think like thanksgiving time because that was at the beginning of november yeah so then like my girlfriend and i had gone home for thanksgiving and then we were driving back to chicago and dylan called me and that's another thing where i'm not going to get a phone call from somebody unless it's bad so i answered and he could like hardly speak on the phone and i didn't know what was going on so Uh i like had to pass the phone to my girlfriend to talk to him and it turned out that this other friend of ours had had an accidental overdose like overnight. Jesus. And I wasn't as close with him, but Dylan was like best friends with him. Uh-huh. Like childhood friends, played in bands together, like lived next door to each uh-huh. other growing up. So he was just like destroyed yeah. by it. And so they went home and they were home for like 
like a week or something like dealing with that. So it was just like these three crazy losses, like within like two months. And so we were just like devastated by it and for a long time. And then it became this thing where it was like, well, like how could I even write about anything else? (laughs) Like other than, other than out. Yeah. Cause it was just kind of like, you're not even, you're not even through like starting to grieve for someone and then somebody else is gone. So it was just like, I don't know. That's, that's the craziest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the craziest, like two months I think we've ever had. So then, you know, obviously the record kind of became about that. Um, but yeah, there's, I'd say almost every song on the record, like references that in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And then it's like, if you look at the packaging of the record, it's like dedicated to those three people. And Uh you know, it's like, I don't know, we're just trying to do everything we can to like make it about them. Cause all three of them were number one, just such huge music people. Like they all lived and breathed music Yeah. and then supported us like in any way, any way that they could. So it's like, this is kind of our, I don't know, like our dedication. Yeah, to them. yeah. I th- I feel like the perspective that you have on on a lot of the tracks is kind of that, you know, helpless observer, mm-hmm. just like seeing it and just you know being a lot of a lot of instances. You're kind of just like far away. You're like yeah. unable unable to reach. And that's kind of the thing, like Corey, for example, because he's just the one that I was closest with and knew the most about the situation had just he'd struggled with mental illness for like a long long time Uh but at the same time he always was the one that seemed like in the most control of it and so it was this very weird thing where you're like i think you're okay like i don't i don't really know and it's like for that to happen when you're in that headspace of like not really like thinking that maybe the situation's under control, but it's not. And then all of a sudden he's gone and it's just like, what? like, yeah, I feel like I should have done something. And it's right, like, right. that's always the first question that you ask yourself is like, what could I have done to change this? Right. Like, you, the, you can't do anything to process, change it. Right? And it's just yeah. like a lot of the songs definitely deal with that feeling of kind of guilt and anger and yeah. just wondering like, why basically like one of the songs specifically is kind of written i guess from his point of view it's like the last song is that an ending yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and so it was just me just kind of trying to like put myself in his shoes and like Uh wonder because he had like at the time his son was like five years old and it's just like and he had an adopted he had two adopted kids and a fiance and all this stuff and it's just like how how can you be feeling inside that causes you to just like leave all of that and it's like gotta be the most like unimaginable pain i guess yeah it was just like the record really became me trying to like wrap my head around Uh because i don't like i'm lucky enough that i don't experience that and like i i thank whoever's out there for not having to experience that but like trying to imagine what that's like is just kind of the basis for a lot of this yeah, for sure. Um, it's it's got to be helpful too, I guess. You know, being in in a situation where it's you and and Austin and Dylan throughout that, just because my my experiences of like you know publicly mourning a a suicide, it's it's really difficult just because everybody is going through that process of you know 
placing themselves within it. Yeah. And that's tough just because it's, it's, it's like everybody takes turns like voicing, you know, like, Oh, you know, well, here's what I could have done. And that's a, that's a really rough space to be in. And so it's, I, I feel like there's so much like shock and trauma that comes just from the event like that. And everybody's like dealing with loss and then you're all, you know, pushing yourselves together and, and sorting it out with people who, you know, are from all sorts of different circles. Yeah. I think also a lot of it is that, you know, a lot of my friends live in Michigan and they're Uh just kind of like, there in it and like when it was happening they were just there in it grieving it in real time yeah but it's like i'm there for two days at a time once every month or two right so it was like every time i would go back there it was like i was reliving it the same as like as when it first happened back into it yeah feel that energy and and it's very yeah Yeah. and it's like a very difficult thing to like tune in and out of because maybe by the time i mean not to put words in other people's mouths but like maybe by the time some of them were kind of done with like the heavy grieving process i was just like getting (laughs) dumped back into it every time Uh because yeah it was just like even just passing like like one of the there's an actual lyric in one of the songs that's directly about just like passing the place where it happened yeah and it's like you have to pass that location in order to get in and out of town there's yeah, like no yeah. way around it and so it's like even to this day like going past where it happened i'm just like get kind of overwhelmed with this certain feeling yeah and it's, it's just a, like that's never really gonna change you know yeah i feel that i uh, lost uh a friend from college on uh on 55 right around Juliet mm-hmm. and you know I pass between Chicago and Bloomington pretty often um, yeah. every time every yeah. time I pass it it's like I don't you know I don't know exactly where it happened but yeah there's a two three mile stretch where it's just every time it's just me kind of like looking out the window a little bit and yeah think about my thing about my boy <laughs> yeah <laughs> miss yeah that's exactly it and it's like yeah it's just this certain like I know exactly where the road is. I know exactly like everything. And it's like, yeah. I don't even have, it's weird. Cause it's like, I don't even have to be paying attention and I'll like all the, like, I don't know. So like a weird it. energy yeah. and I'll just like know that we're there and I look straight at like the road sign and yeah. I, I don't really know what's going on for a second. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, in the song I, I say it's like being in a trance basically. Cause it like, that's what it feels like. Like you're just kind of, I don't know. I get yeah. put right back into like that uh-huh. moment when I answered the phone. Type yeah, of thing. yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's one of the yeah. It's one of those time stops, and you're you're forever like where, you know, where you were in that moment. Yeah. Just like bodily, and um, you know, I'm I'm really sorry to hear that you that you experienced that. That's yeah, and I mean, it's you know everybody has something like that, and it's just like I feel like this record was just the way to the way to put it out there to deal with it and also like memorialize them yeah. in in the best way that we know how. Yeah. Cause they were all fans of the band in their own ways Yeah, and yeah. Su- huge supporters. And you know, it was just like, it's the thing like Corey specifically, I know that like 
if he could see that his name was like on our record, he'd be uh-huh. like freaking out. Yeah. Like, he'd be like so happy about it. Like he's always the dude that like posts the photo, like holding yeah. the record, be like, I got uh-huh. it. And like, so yeah, if he, if he knew that his name was front and center on, yeah. the, on the sleeve, he'd be yeah. pretty jest. Well, that's great. Um, and it's, it's out or at least it, it will be, uh, you know, by the time this thing comes to air, uh, on Friday, April 20th. Yeah. You dogs. <laughs> you going, you going on tour with resin. Yeah. You get a contact high when you're loading in <laughs> with that band. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I can't wait for that. Those guys are amazing. Yeah. They're probably my favorite Chicago band. Yeah. At, at the moment or of all time. <laughs> They're just like insane they're so fucking good yeah that's gonna be a lot of fun and it'll be good good celebration yeah for all of it yeah for sure and i it's fun it's cool because on this tour we're like sharing a lot of gear with them uh-huh. and we're all like about you know both bands are all about like tone yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so I, we're gonna so have like nine fun. emperor caps yeah and- <laughs> <laughs> but it's gonna be fun lots of hazy rooms and- yeah 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 for sure you just you pull up in that van and it's just <laughs> and everybody's like oh they, yeah that must be them i can yeah. smell them from a block away well it was great talking to you thanks yeah for absolutely over. thanks for having me Hey, good stuff from Dan. A stretch of time, like the one he went through, my heart goes out to the homie. Just took a lot of that in while I was sitting on the other side of the table. Amazing to see what he and Dylan and Austin were able to turn that all into. An outstanding record from a band to watch out for. Check out Loom online. Loomband.com. Loom bandcamp.com subscribe to this podcast on apple podcast on stitcher we're also on bandcamp better yet podcast.bandcamp.com uh like the page on facebook you can send me a message on there email is better yet podcast at gmail.com i'm on twitter i'm trying not to check it too often these days because it's it's a, it's a lot but i'm at better yet pod uh, the website is Better Yet Pod Merchandise. We got that moving sale. BetterYetPod.com slash merch. And thank you so much. Thanks to Dan. Thank you to Alec. Thank you, Jay. You keep me cool. And uh, shout out to my housemates, Ryan and Eric, for eight lovely months spent together me and chloe are moving on and here we go come back next week thanks boys
Western sky 